Good morning, Highland. Today I'll be reading from 2 Samuel. When the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord, and the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. He brought it up, and he grew up with him, with his children. He used to eat of his meager fare and drink from his cup and lay and lie in his bosom. And it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was loath to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared that for the guest who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against this man. He said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. He shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. The word of the Lord. Good morning, Highland. Uh, we're in this series called Rolodex, and, and we're going to start thinking about the first kind of in-person relationship that you need. Last week, we talked about the relationship you need with the paraclete, the spirit. But, but this is a real person that you need in your life. But before we jump into what we need, which is an editor, I want us to kind of stay, take a step back and think about your life as a whole. Um, is it about the journey or the destination? Have you ever heard that question before? I think most of us have a pretty... Um, Quick re-answer, knee-jerk answer there, that it's actually about the journey, not the destination. And I just want to talk for a minute about airplanes. Because you know what it's like when you step into an airport. You've rushed to get there early, but not too early, because you don't want to be stuck in that waiting area corral for hours while nothing happens. So you rush to get security. You rush to take off your shoes and your belt, and then you rush to put all that stuff on and get everything back together after security. You rush to get in line uh, for the plane, because you want to get in front of those five people that are behind you, just so that the uh, ticket person can scan your ticket and you can walk 20 feet on the air bridge where you have to wait until everybody else gets seated. And then you sit on a plane with people on either side of you for who knows how many hours just sitting there, hoping nobody breathes on you too much or strikes up a conversation so you can just read the book that you want to read. And then you rush to get off the plane because maybe you can get one row in front of the person next to you so that you can rush to luggage uh, pickup, the baggage claim, and you can wait 25 minutes for your luggage to arrive. Is it really about the journey? I think when we're talking about airplanes, it's about the destination. I think there's a correlation between speed and distance and how much the journey really changes us. And I think the best journeys are the ones where we slow down. Alfred Hitchcock called movies life with all the boring parts cut out of it. But I think it's the boring parts of life when things slow down that God can really can really change us. It's kind of like if you've ever walked through a city that you normally drive through. 
I don't know if you've ever ridden a bike on your commute to work, but if you walk in your neighborhood, you notice things that you have never seen before. I remember one time I was walking and I saw this most peculiar thing. It was just this chain that went from the uh, side of a roof down and it just went into a hole in the ground. And I thought that's the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. And I walked over and I grabbed the chain and I wiggled it and I had no idea why somebody would just want a metal chain to go from the side of their house down to a hole in the ground. It turns out it was a rain chain and they're actually pretty cool and functional. Well, we say we're all about the journey, but I just don't know. Now, I want us to consider that question theologically. On the journey you are in in your life, the destination, your goal, is the total union, the complete union of yourself with God. But the tricky thing about that destination is unless we meet God on the journey, I'm not sure we're going to find him at the destination. I don't think you can get there unless God interrupts your life. I was reading a couple of years ago, Into the Wild. It's this great book by Krakauer. It's about a a young man that just kind of goes off into the wilderness of, of Alaska to see what he can do. And I was about two-thirds of the way through this book, and I was so captivated by kind of the romance and the adventure of this young man as he's going through the wilderness. And I called a friend of mine and I said, hey, have you read this book? It's amazing. You remind me a lot of the, the character. And he said, have you finished the book yet? And I said, no, not yet, but it's a great story. He's like, see if I still remind you of the main character at, at the end. Because he eats a bunch of poison berries and and then he dies. I hope I haven't ruined that story for you. But there's part of me that wants to live out that epic journey to see what I'm really made of. John Paul II said, the person who does not decide to love forever will find it very difficult to love for even one day. To journey without being changed is to be a nomad. A journey without a destination is vagrancy. And so I think the right answer to the question, is it about the journey or is it about the destination, is probably neither. It's probably about relationships. Who who have you brought with you along the way? Why do we need a network of relationships? Why do we need these the indispensable people in our life, there is a serious problem with disposable friends. You can dispose of a napkin or a fork. You may even dispose of a shirt that was really cheap and you didn't really want to wear it but once. But there is a real problem when we begin to thinking of others as disposable. Because those others they're probably going to live forever with you. They are both the journey and part of the destination, if our destination is God. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, I am grateful for this time and this space this morning. I'm grateful uh, that we are gathered, although in houses and different places all around uh, our city and around the nation, around the world, Uh, Father, I pray that you move in all of those different places and in those different situations to let your spirit be known. And to that end, Father, I, I pray that you pour through me the gift of the spirit, that I might 
Speak your truth and love to these, your people, and together that the church says, amen. There's a lot of times when you really need a good editor. Let me show you a, a few examples of what I mean. Just someone to look at your work and decide, ah, you might want to proofread that one more time. Like the guys that, that painted this sign on the street. You think somebody could have, could have checked out with them and say, are you certain we've spelled this right? Or, or this tweet that, that came out, and I, this might be a joke, but maybe they just didn't check the uh, uh, autocorrect as they were going through. Kirstie Alley said, I'm leaving on a jet train, which isn't quite real. And then, of course, there's this next one that I, I thoroughly enjoy. I smell like men's colon. I don't think that's exactly what she meant. Uh, at least she should have thought twice before she put that on Twitter, if that's what she really meant. One more, and I'll show you what the last bit. The seizure salad from McDonald's is so good. I don't know if you've ever had a seizure salad before. It will leave you breathless. That, that may have been too far. Everyone needs a good editor. And I want you to think, who is that person in your life? Who is the person that can tell you that the voice that's coming out of your mouth isn't coming from Jesus? Who is the person that can call you out on sin, the sin that you're trying to hide from everybody else? Anyone and everyone can use an, a Nathan, an editor. You may not know this name, but he's one of the most uh, famous people in science. Linus Pauling uh, is the, has the distinction of being the only person who won two Nobel Prizes without sharing them, two unshared Nobel Prizes. One was for chemistry, and the other was the Nobel Peace Prize. Time listed the most 100 influential people in science. There was only two people from the 20th century Linus Pauling and Albert Einstein. The man is up there with some pretty famous people. But at the end of Linus Pauling's life, he got a little sidetracked in his research and what he was discovering. And he, he published this paper that basically said, high doses of intravenous vitamin C will let you live forever. In fact, he revealed that he had been dosing himself intravenously with vitamin C. And everybody just kind of went, What? Even brilliant people can see the value of a good editor. An editor not only seeks to correct the mistakes in your life, but it also helps you prune with surgical precision to accentuate the good. I think the best way to understand an editor might be that, that welcome intruder. And that takes us to the story that we heard just a moment ago about Nathan and David. David had become king. He'd become very powerful in Israel. And, and Nathan was called in that moment to speak the truth to power. Have you ever broke a lamp and, and tried to um, fix it before your folks got home? Or you tried to concoct a crazy story about why you were late for a meeting I don't know if you ever saw these shows before, but if you've ever seen Cops or To Catch a Predator, you see that look on somebody's face. It's that look of fear as they realize that their life is over. David needed a good editor in his life. After he became king, he ended up like everyone who was in power, surrounded by yes-men, those who are seeking his favor or approval, and it becomes easy in that sort of circumstance to forget, 
to forget the flock of sheep on the hills that you came from, to forget that life wasn't always like this in the palace, to forget that his worth and identity was found in God and a God that delighted in him. And it wasn't in his position or in his power. He didn't need a yes man. He needed someone that could stand up to him and someone that could tell him the truth. Theologically, the writer of of 2 Samuel makes this clear in the verbs that he uses, they use in this story, that David sends. David sends his army to battle without him. David sees and then sends for Bathsheba. David sends for Uriah to come back to Jerusalem. And then David sends Uriah to Bathsheba's house, their house. And after Uriah's death, David sends again for Bathsheba. And the culmination of that story is not David sending, using his power to get what he wants, but when God shows up in the picture and God sends Nathan. And Nathan has to be terrified. He must speak the truth. And sometimes truth needs to sneak up and surprise a person. And so he tells tells David a story about a lamb And maybe that just triggered something in the back of of David's mind, of his memory as a boy. Have you ever wondered how Nathan delivered that line, you are the man? Was it the climax of triumph to drive the point home, you are the man? Or was it quiet, almost regretful resignation? David, you're the man. The story does two things. It tells us that David is not completely turned from justice and the Lord. And even though he's made a horrible mistake, he still feels some sort of sense of guilt. And there's there's still something good in him. David is cut to the heart and he he repents of his sin to God and, and he's restored. Nathan shows up one more time in the Bible. David has grown old and weak. Adonijah, one of David's sons, has begun to consolidate power so that he will become the next king. And it's Nathan who realizes what's going on. And he goes to tell his old friend David. And because of Nathan's actions, Solomon is put on the throne. There's a real difference between an editor and an accountability partner. I'm not convinced that accountability partners are that useful. Just ask some of the Christian leaders who have had accountability partners and still done terrible things. You could think of Ted Haggard or or Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. A Nathan, an editor, will get under your skin. They're going to ask tough questions, and they're going to tell the truth. If anyone wants to be a good editor, if anybody wants to be a Nathan, I think the best advice comes out of Galatians chapter 6, where Paul says, If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. There's two pieces of that that I really want you to hone in on. You should restore them with a spirit of gentleness. And you walk beside them. You bear their burden. 
so that you can help them be restored. The biggest temptation in, in becoming a Nathan is to become arrogant. Uh, Tim Keller believes that the only way to confront someone's sin correctly, you have to be as grieved over the sin as being uh, confronted as the sin should be. You should bear the burden of their sin with them. If this is a job that excites you, then if this is something you think that you would like to do, you are not being called to be an editor. And, and make it sure it's sin and not just something you don't like about the other person. It's why the phrase, hate the sin, love the sinner, is bankrupt. It falls short for two very good reasons. One, we aren't very good at loving people that we aren't very close to. And two, it becomes very easy to hate sin and hate sinner, especially if they're doing something that's hurting others. I think we probably have too few Nathans in our lives than we really need. It's too easy just to let the confrontation pass you by. And you hope and pray that someone else is going to do the hard work. Are you, are you choosing not to confront them because you don't want to deal with the, with the log in your own eye? Do you love your own log and so you let someone else go by? I love this phrase. The truth comes to a conqueror. The truth comes as a conqueror only to those who have lost the art of receiving it as a friend. And so I want you to think for a moment. Who in your life speaks the truth even when it's hard? Even when you don't want to hear it, but you know they're right. Who has the courage? Who loves you enough? Who cares about you enough to tell you the truth? For this series, uh, we're, we've, we've created these little bookmarks. And uh, if you want to pick one up, you go to highlandchurch.org slash Rolodex, and you can download it there, print it out, cut it out. I want you to put it in your Bible as we're going through this series together. And, and just for a minute, in just a moment, uh, we're going to sing. But what I'd love for you to do is reflect for just a minute about who is your editor? Who is the person that can speak truth to you, even when it hurts? And on that second line there, who is the person that you, you need to be honest with? You need to tell them the truth. Maybe the more self-reflective question is, in what areas of your life could you use a Nathan? Reflect for a moment and let's stand. Let's sing.